We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 54. Uh, to those of you listening via the podcast, thanks for listening. To those of you who are on the live stream, thanks for bearing with us as we dealt with some technical difficulties, but we are live now. Um, I'm going to avoid playing the intro song this week over the mic because it sounded like absolute crap last week. Uh, so I'm going to try and retain some level of audio fidelity for the podcast listeners uh, as well. But uh, we're in today. I'm, I'm joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, Quarantine week two, much the same as quarantine week one. Uh, the weather's not been great in Minneapolis, so I haven't even had a chance to go out onto various streets to congregate with everybody and hug all my strangers out on the streets. So that's been pretty good overall. Um, but otherwise, nothing too crazy here. We, nobody that I know personally have been infected yet, but I'm waiting for the news to break. So, uh, yeah, that's what's going on up here. Yeah, I was going to say quarantine week two was pretty similar to week one, except I had more kind of like video conferences and meetings, which only meant my internet could not handle the capabilities, which has only frustrated me and Charter not being of use of that at all. So otherwise, yeah, the weather's been kind of crappy here. I think there was like one day, it was like Friday, where it was like slightly, like barely, like you could see the sun like kind of crack through every once in a while. But that was it. Otherwise, it's been raining today and yesterday, and it's been cold all the time. So, yeah, kind of hard for me to enjoy anything at the moment besides sitting in my house. Well, thankfully, that's about all we can do is sit <laughs> in our homes. So that's a, that's a good timing for that. Yeah, it's been pretty pretty gloomy out here in Philly as well. So, and it's not like that all the time. There is sun out here. Um, so it's been. You know, quarantine is pretty much the same as you guys dealing with video conferencing issues, dealing with internet issues, but staying inside, making the most of it. But what we are going to talk about today is talking a little bit about, since the state of the season is obviously still up in the air, we're going to sort of act and do a, a brief in memoriam for the season up to this point, talk a little bit about our highlights, uh, lowlights, what went as we thought it would, what didn't. So, um you know, and obviously for anyone watching on the live stream, feel free to pipe in with your highlights uh, or any questions you might have as we go along. But um, let's start with you, Riley. Did you have any, like, just to get us off on some optimistic foot, any, like, big highlights that really stuck out to you from this season so far? So I ended up writing about three things or everything except for the what I was right about because I had difficulty remembering <laughs> what I had guessed and if I was right about anything, which is appropriate, I think. Uh, the three things that kind of jumped out to me and they'll probably be similar for you guys is one, uh, Chris Middleton living up to his new contract in a big way. I think there was a lot of concerns for some people heading into the season, how much further he could go after he got the all-star nod last year, but the overall numbers, they were great, but they weren't like, wow, crazy. This guy is definitely a second star um, type material. I think everybody here, <clears throat> excuse me, agrees that he's a great second star for Giannis. 
And so to see him step up and really contribute and increase his numbers, get another all-star nod, that was a huge plus. Um, Dante, I'll leave that to you, Adam, but I was going to put Dante as another huge plus. And then, of course, having another year of Giannis, where not only does, does he, depending on how the season works out, look like he's on his track for a second straight MVP, um, he even <laughs> took the ridiculous per-game stats of last year and ratcheted up even that much further, which, you know, we get into this situation where could you imagine this guy playing even more minutes, what kind of output he would have, which is, you know, it boggles the mind a little bit. So those those are the three big things where Chris being as good as he was Giannis, of course. And then from the rest of the roster, I would say Dante was probably the biggest surprise out of all of them. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? I also had Dante as one of mine just because (laughs) obviously, I mean, he's the fact that he's not only healthy, but he did show, you know, a lot of capabilities of being a great off-ball kind of player that can play off of Giannis and Chris and everyone else. I think that was a huge improvement. I think another thing I liked was that the players that came in have at the very least held their own. You know, like Wes Matthews has had defensively been really good and offensively has a couple nights where he's shooting really well. And like I said, even if he's not shooting well offensively, he can still defend pretty well. George Hill coming back and he – was still a flamethrower from three and having that steady studying presence as well. Um, Robin Lopez, as much crap as I give him, he was at least a serviceable backup big that you can have on the team. You know, I think of that second Philadelphia game um, and he, when Brooke got in foul trouble, he was substantial and limiting and beat. So I think having those guys come in and still be able to play well enough to justify being on the team and not necessarily completely replacing Malcolm Brogdon, but at least, filling in the gaps that Brogdon might have left behind was encouraging. And I think the other thing that I was really happy about was just the overall, like how the team played. Obviously, it wasn't just a one-off fluke. You know, it's been able to take it from the year prior and even even take it to bigger numbers and still having the ability to play the same way, still bludgeon teams to death, still shoot them out the gym, still have that capability that, it's not just a one-off season thing. It was kind of a, this is still something that's sustainable, at least for a regular season. Now, if it happens in the playoffs, maybe we'll find it out later today, maybe not. But at least we knew that like the system can work even with losing personnel or certain players not playing as well as they did the year prior. Yeah, the, the system is an interesting point. To, to your earlier point, Riley, about I can't remember what I was wrong or what I even said about, I was looking back at the roundtables uh, that we did to start the season so I can... Thank you. You'll be thankful to know that I have by far the worst take um, of all of those. So you're, you're safe. Oh but um, in terms of the system, you, you, Riley, you had mentioned something about recalling Jason Kidd's system, trying to learn some lessons from that and wondering if it was a you know one year blip or whatever. But um, clearly that was like probably the like you said, Kyle, like the system only was refined further this year. Like it wasn't really taught to it wasn't really you know, turned into a fraud or anything like that. You know, the defensive system is still as amazing as it ever was, Uh, you know, offensively, obviously, you know, some teams could find some flaws, but for the most part, and like you said, in the playoffs, we won't know if that'll uh, eventually get exposed more. But um, to this point, I mean, that's, that was really encouraging is that Bud's defensive system was still, you know, only, it only improved this year with the arrival of, of Robin Lopez and a couple other people. Yeah, and I find that that was going to be my what I was wrong about, because like you said, in the round table, I'm sure. And then throughout going into the season, my concern was like we had not that the system either during Jason Kidd's time or this time was fluky per se, because obviously they worked for a reason. And my concern was, you know, 
Jason Kidd did not want to adjust the system. Uh, obviously, that eventually got him fired after like seven more seasons of going through with the same exact system. But my concern was Budenholzer also has this propensity to not adjust all that quickly. He just kind of likes his system. And I was like, well, is that going to be taken advantage of again? Um, so I think, you know, we should like you said, refine credit to Budenholzer and the players for refining it. And also credit to John horse for being able to find guys to add in to, like you said, kind of reinforce it. And, you know, it didn't help out super like it kind of broke down a little bit against the Raptors in the playoffs last year. But even then, I think a lot of the issues, at least in my point of view, was a lot of the offensive end. And so if this, if you have a top, league leading defense that's going to get you probably all the way there as long as the offense is passable and for much of the season we saw even on the other end as well the offense while not as strong as of late was pretty pretty deadly throughout the entire season yeah absolutely so for for my highlights i was thinking a lot of mine came during the 18 game winning streak which i almost like was kind of easy to forget about and then i was like oh yeah for a while we just didn't expect the bucks to lose uh, a game at all which was pretty incredible i feel like we haven't experienced that in our in my i certainly haven't in my bucks lifetime in a long time but there were a couple games from within there i just wanted you know I, everyone will remember them but like the 137 to 96 beatdown of charlotte followed by the 132 to 88 win against the knicks those were back to back absolute destructions of eastern conference teams um, you know, if you want to feel bad for Charlotte fans, um, God, they've shot 36.6% from the field in that one. That is tough to see. Well, anyway, those nearly like 50 point victories for the Bucks back to back was incredible. And during that streak, there was also the 119 to 91 waxing of the Los Angeles Clippers on ESPN on Friday night where they, time. that was just like incredible. I was so excited for that game. The Clippers had basically everyone. Uh, and like, it just flabbergasted all the ESPN broadcasters. Like they just couldn't, they didn't really have anything to talk about. And then there was that, there's that great shot of like Kawhi just looking despondent on the bench as the Bucks beat their brains in. I don't think that's any different from how he usually looks though. That is true. Kinda, that's kind of looks despondent. Fair, in general. Fair. That is, that's a fair point. Um, but those were, yeah, that, that 18 game winning streak was like one of probably one of the coolest parts of the season, obviously by far for myself and probably other Bucks fans. Yeah, I think the the Chris 50-point outing as well against Washington, that was a fun game just because it was zany and it was like this uh, this uh, drag race between him and Bradley Beal to be like, who can make more ridiculous shots as the game goes along? And the Bucks ended up winning, but that was a lot of fun too. That would add that to the highlights of the season. Kyle, do you have another signature game that jumps out to you? I would say the first LA Laker game because mm-hmm. that one was also a nationally televised game, you know, LeBron against Giannis and Giannis hitting five threes. I don't think anyone would have saw it coming. And when he did the like pounding himself, that was that was just a good time. I think I remember missing. I missed the initial game because I was watching Star Wars, and now I'm really pissed off about that. Back, but that, like rewatching the game and seeing the highlights and just seeing how Twitter was, it was that was probably I would say at its peak where everything was going well from like end the season so far. Yeah, I would agree. That was like we had the we had the wins over the Western Conference elite. We were like winning every single game possible. So like the Eastern Conference didn't seem like they really had anyone who could even touch us. Um, obviously, that sort of started to flip when we lost once to the Lakers and then lost like three games, I guess. And then so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we weren't on pace for seventy wins. So then we're vulnerable. Um, 
which we ended up becoming the worst team in the league <laughs> yeah. happened that quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were just like, those were incredible games. Um, I missed the early part of the season um, just cause I was like getting married and stuff. And then on my honeymoon, so I couldn't see like a lot of those games, but those sounded fun too. I mean, there was like the, the win over Houston, uh, even in that first game of the season sounded, I missed it. Obviously I was, um, but it sounded really interesting. I mean, it's like you go to first game of the season, you wind up winning the game, going to Brook, like down low on the block, like even like small stuff like that is pretty fun to remember. Yeah. There was like the Giannis 50 point game against the jazz, which I think was relatively early in the season too, which mm-hmm. given the way that he plays anytime he's able to get up to 50, cause I think he had 52 last season. Yeah. Was yeah that against the sick I can't remember who it was against, but anytime he, because of the way that he plays, if he's getting to 50, I mean, he shoots more threes now, so there's still a little bit of distance to it, but it's just going to be like him yamming on dudes for 48 straight minutes, which is just, it's, it's beautiful to watch when another team, especially one like the jazz where it's this whole like Giannis stop or Rudy Gobert thing. And it's just, he, I don't even know if Rudy played in that game, but you know, when when you play against certain opponents um, and he's able to do what he does for that full 48 it's uh it's a lot of fun <laughs> um okay so obviously tons of highlights oh, but um let's let's talk a little bit about if we have any low lights from this season um R- riley let's uh let's start with you i would say um you know, so I, I see that Teutonia World just hop in the uh, the live chats. I, I believe that Teutonia World, if there's a uh, like ten things about the season that's disappointing, that's a pretty worthwhile video. You may or may not agree with all the things, but I think there's a lot of points in there to <laughs> to kind of be a state started off point on this conversation. I would say the first thing, um, the main thing is this is the first season where it was like we don't care about the regular season, you know, um, and and obviously there was this argument we care about it because we've never won at this level before like you know to just enjoy the all the winning which is true but after last season where it was this breakout like wow i can't believe we actually did what we did became first seed this looks like a, a team of destiny and then coming into this season where you expect them to be great again and the really the only question is what are these like kind of ancillary pieces how do they fit um i think combined with that and the length of the season, all sorts of different things. I think the biggest downside to this year for me was the fact that it was the first time where we did, we don't really care about the regular season, which made some weeks, some opponents a little more difficult to really care about or be as locked in, or you can kind of come and go to the season. So um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that narrative. It's just kind of the reality of being a fan of a really good NBA team these days. Yeah. Kyle, what about you? It kind of ties into it with the regular season not mattering and also made Twitter more a pain in the ass to deal with. And thankfully, I didn't have to be on the BrewHoop Twitter account as consistently this year. Um, so that kind of made things a little bit easier where I could just step away as much as I could. But it was just more the – because the regular season didn't matter, we weren't sure if we were supposed to be happy with the team winning or be upset with the team winning. If the team lost – then do we freak out like we've always used to do and think it's every the sky is falling or do we try and brush it off and say no it's everything's fine because it doesn't matter and then there was never like there's never a point where being in the middle was okay like kind of like what you would say right like you can criticize the team how they did and still be a fan but it felt like you it was either nope everything's fine or nope the sky's falling and there was never an in between and i think between that and just the general 
just the general vibe of Twitter as well. It just seemed like there was a lot more, not necessarily infighting, like it used to be with, you know, Bucks Twitter Civil War, but it just seemed like it was always a new fight with a new fan base or a new person. It was, you know, James Hart. It was LeBron. It was ESPN. It was, you know, I'm trying to think like Philly fans and it became Boston fans and it's Miami <laughs> fans. And that's, it just seemed like every time there's a new opponent that we were trying to battle and it just got to the point where it's like none of this shit matters at this point so we just need to stop fighting like the shit doesn't matter in the regular season but at the same time we care so much because if we lose then we have to argue with this fan base and i think that was my biggest low light is just because thankfully i wasn't on twitter as much this year but it was still enough that it got to the point where you know when my kid was born i wasn't on twitter that much and i was nice and when now the season's over there's not that much of that nonsense going on. So I think that's kind of been the nice thing, but it also reflects on how the regular season doesn't matter because now we don't know how we should act. Because last year, yeah, the regular season might not have mattered, but at least we were winning, and that was a new feeling that most of us haven't had unless you were there in the 80s. And and if I can make one quick point, kind of piggybacking off of that, I've heard, not complaints, but when you, when you the royal you, you know, whoever brings up, well, like Twitter's so toxic, and then somebody else says, "Well, you you shouldn't be on Twitter then." But I think it's sort of a fallacy because so much of, at least the way that I consume or the way that most, I think, depending on your demographic, sports like consumption comes through is via the lens of Twitter, and so that's where the conversation happens. That's where a lot of people are at. And yes, maybe it's like a small fragment of the fan base, but it's vocal. And it's the one that we happen to be in. So I, I know that's probably not super interesting for people who aren't into the social media, who generally just do like the commenting on Bruhu articles, for example, to talk about or hear about like <laughs> Twitter drama. But you know, at least for me, Kyle, when you were running the Brew Hoop accounts, you know, Adam as well, you don't tweet all that often, but I know you're on there. So you, you see it at least. Um, you, you just kind of, it's you're like a sponge and it's just coming in. And because that's the way that we end up consuming the fandom, that's what makes it disheartening. The fact that you have all these kind of arguments and make, again, makes it difficult to enjoy the season when you have all these other things going on, which maybe I shouldn't be on Twitter, but what are you going to do? Well, it was easier when the team was struggling with Jason Kidd because everyone had a common enemy at that point. And now that common enemy is gone, so now there's just multiple enemies. And I think that was the weird part with last year is the team was still doing well, and I remember going on that rant, yelling at all the national media, and then I got blown, I got ratioed, I got blown the fuck up about it. And then fast forward to the next year, and everyone that was saying the same shit I did the year before is now saying it now, it's like, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> it's just also that. It's just kind of the hypocritical, everyone has to be right kind of mentality as well that I had an issue with. Yeah, it's... Might have, uh, to, might have to bleep some of those words, but it's fine. <laughs> I Yeah, even in quarantine, I don't really have an appetite to go back and do that much production. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, to tone your world, obviously, with a low light um, chimes in very on brand. Uh, Chris not showing up against the Lakers to set months of LeBron MVP quarantine narrative. Um, <laughs> I got to say that didn't that didn't click in my mind. But that's why we have um, that's why we have other people, other perspectives like we were talking about on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys make really interesting points. I think it's a difficult I mean, the thing about obviously Twitter is just, it's so instantaneous. You can move from one thing within the next like half hour. Some new thing can completely take over and it's so easy to move from one thing to the other. So it's hard to 
you know, hard to take a broad perspective on stuff. I think it's, it's, it's hard for us to all kind of like grapple with this new reality that you were talking about, Riley, which is the idea that the regular season might not matter. I mean, for, um, for a lot of our lives. And I would say not necessarily the majority, but I would probably the majority of people who are like avid Bucks fans who are specifically on Twitter are younger. They're not going to know or remember a lot of any Bucks teams that have won this much. So they're kind of trying to figure out what it's like, you know, to, to deal with a team that, you know, when they're winning all this time, what happens when they lose, you know, it's like when we talk about the Packers, like losing, having a losing season or whatever. And, you know, your dad will try to be like, well, you weren't there for the, you know, 72 through 91 when they really sucked. Uh, you know, I think we're always going to sort of have these, these, these squabbles. And they'll always be there. Um, you know, I, I wish obviously that we would all be able to sort of just come together and not always feel like, oh, I got to be right about this. I got to be right about that. Um, I'm happy to be wrong. Like I said, I'm going to tease it again. Terrible, terrible take about what I had was expecting this season. And I'm always happy to be wrong. I don't care. Like, it's fine. I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to make them my best educated guess. And if someone's wrong, hopefully try and be like, you know, don't try and dunk on them. Just be like, oh man, you know, they probably know that they're wrong. If they really dig in, then like, you know, they're probably someone who you don't want to interact with that often that, you know, it's just not quite as fun um, when people aren't willing to engage and accept the fact that sometimes they're wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I did have a player one that I was disappointed. <laughs> Eric Bledsoe's play has been concerning. It, it, I think that's been the low light just because maybe we thought he would at least be good in the regular season. And then what happens in the playoffs, we don't know. But I feel like he's been underwhelming this regular season so far. I mean, he's had moments where he's been really, really great. But overall, I feel like, you know, when Gian- like Giannis has good games, Chris has good games, Brooke has good games. Like everyone else seems to have really, really good games. And I can't think of a notable Eric Bledsoe had a really good game this year, which I feel like is odd because last year you can go back and you can look and it's like, all right, it was when he shut down James Harden twice in the year. It was when he single-handedly against Boston in one of the regular season, he scored like eight straight points in the fourth quarter. Or it was that Indiana series where he just was able to hit like five threes. But I feel like he hasn't had that this year. And every other player, I feel like, has had that one notable game. And maybe that's more of Bloodsoul's consistency for better or for worse. But I would say that would kind of be a low light is – the lack of heights that Eric Bledsoe has achieved this year. If I was to jump on with two, two player lowlights, since we're ragging on players, I would say <laughs> that two week stretch where I had to pretend that along with everybody else, that Kyle Corver would be okay on defense to justify <laughs> the fact that we, he was going to win us a, a playoff game or something, <laughs> something like that. I thought that whole conversation was a little strange. Like it was, he he looked good moving for like a guy his age, but he was still moving like a guy his age. And so I was a little skeptical about the two week stretch where, it, you know, it seemed like he people thought he was going to become this you know, decent defender to get by in the playoffs. I don't think anybody has illusions about that anymore. Um, and then the other one would be uh, Brooke Lopez forgetting how to shoot from three. Now he's still shooting like 30 percent, but. Um, compared to last season's heights to come down and there was just long stretches like, oh my God, it's just, <laughs> we're in the desert right now. We cannot make a three whatsoever. And he, it, it makes it worse. It's it's not his fault because he was so successful with it last year, but his like his shooting form, the way that he turns into a V mid air while he's shooting or whatever, like all that sort of disturbs me a little bit. So 
when the shots aren't going in, that's it's that much more frustrating. And then on top of that, we've talked about throughout the season, if between Eric and Brooke, if teams are like, well, we're just going to let them shoot threes. Well, we didn't have a great track record so far this year to see that Brooke would be able to shoot out of it or actually make that defensive strategy pay. So that would be my uh, two player lowlights. I don't, I didn't have any player ones. I have just in generally any day game um, that we've had to sort of mm-hmm. suffer through this oh, year. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the game in France um, was particularly uh, not that delightful. Um, shout out to the Hornets fans. Um, and then also I know you mentioned it was a highlight, uh, the, the Washington game, Riley, I felt a little different. So I felt like the first three quarters of that game were probably my least favorite Bucks basketball I had to watch, um, all year. It was like, looked like a playground, had absolutely no flow is some of the most trash basketball I've seen in a long time. Did you not watch the Charlotte game on the Sunday afternoon? Because that yeah. was the worst game. <laughs> yeah, that one's yeah, that one's terrible. Um, but there, there was like at least that one's like was felt slow and awful. The Washington game just felt like it's like you know, in like fourth grade when you would get like be like, all right, let's just let's just like run it up and shoot really fast. And then okay, you get yeah. like turnovers back and forth. It's like you get one of those sequences where someone's like they'll like record the 30 second. It's like, there's four turnovers in 30 seconds. And someone's mm-hmm. like, this is the worst basketball you'll see all year. <laughs> uh, that one was tough. But then like the fourth quarter and overtime of that, of that game was like, a, was a highlight for me. Cause that was dope between Bradley Beal and Chris Milton. Yeah. It was simply, simply because, and I think there was an article on ESPN about Chris talking about he's 0.2 percentage points away from a 50, 40, 90 season or whatever, which is super brutal. If that's the case, if he's not able to get there, um, but he was talking about like, yeah, I went back and rewatched the <laughs> Wizards game where I scored 50. So it was more so a highlight just to, to see Chris get his. And he was like, <laughs> even when he was talking to us, like, yeah, I was like, I was impressed with how aggressive I was the entire game. I'm like, let's let's take that energy and let's do it for every game, though. Chris. How about that? So I thought <laughs> I just wanted to give him a shot because he was mentioning it top of mind for him. And we're all thinking about Chris during quarantine right now. So, yeah. Uh. All right. Well, let's let's talk about not. We don't have to do like sort of specifics because we can't remember what we didn't. We weren't smart enough to. I wasn't smart enough to go back and listen to our preseason prediction podcast and tell you guys what we said beforehand. Um, but here's a couple things that went about as I expected. Um, I looked at the Bruhu Brown table. I guessed over on the win total. It looked like they were gonna, which was at fifty-seven and a half, and it looked like the Bucks would probably hit that. Um, <laughs> I said under. <laughs> I remember that one. Uh-huh. I had I had Dante as most improved, um, mm-hmm. which wound up being good. I think a lot of other people probably predicted that too. Um, now here's the one that didn't go very well. Uh, I had I think I had it had Bucks non Giannis MVP, and this is an example, kids, of where you try and zag a little too hard. And I mm-hmm. put um, Robin Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate. Um, so just learn from my lessons, oh, no. please, everyone, um, and, and never never do something like that. So th- those were some of mine uh, that I had personally. I think I took the under, and my reasoning was like the team's not going to give a damn about the regular season, much like the rest of us. Uh, even though they might not give that much of a damn, they're so good that it doesn't even matter. So wrong there. I think the only thing I was really correct about was guessing that Giannis would probably get a second MVP in a row. Uh, and we'll, we'll see, uh, like Tony world said, depending on the quarantine talk, but I think ESPN also did like a media straw poll on Giannis won the MVP, like going away. So 
I still think he'll probably end up grabbing it. And I think that was the only big thing. Otherwise, I don't know. I was not pessimistic, but I just didn't expect them to have as good of a regular season just because they had already proved what they were capable of. And I figured older roster, given the free agents they brought in, you know, they want to obviously save Giannis and Chris as much as they can. So I just figured between all those, they wouldn't perform as well, but happy to be wrong, obviously. Yeah, I... I know for sure I said they were going to get under the win total, but still easily get the first seed because I said the only team that would compete with them was Philly. And obviously Philly showed they were not the team that was going to compete with them. So I got half of it right where Milwaukee was going to comfortably have the one seed. I just thought it was going to be they get like 55 wins and just don't care about the rest of the season because they'd have the one seed locked up at this point by now. Um, but the other thing I think I was off on, I think I said there was going to be two all defensive players in which I thought Eric Bledsoe would repeat because it's kind of an honorary, you know, tradition award. Like once you get it once, you get it again. I think, that's, I think he's going to get an all defensive team spot. And now I'm looking at maybe Brooke getting it. And the more I think about it, I don't think Brooke's going to get it either. So I was kind of off on that prediction as well. Um, those are the two that I was really, really off on, I think. Otherwise, I'm trying to remember what else we said, but I think those are the two that I, I just got horribly wrong. I had two more. So one before the season, I don't think I like proclaimed it from the rooftops, but I thought for sure this is going to be the Sterling breakout season because we had seen at the end of last year into the playoffs is like, oh man, like it's still playing like Sterling does, but he's actually like scoring and stuff, which is helpful. So I figured maybe this would be the Sterling breakout season. Sadly, it looks like quite the opposite <laughs> and probably Sterling's last season in Milwaukee, which is a real downer. Uh, the other one uh, that really jumps out to me was, I think it was after like three weeks, um, Wes, it was against Orlando on the road against Orlando. This was like the Dante Sterling breakout game. Um, Wes wasn't playing well and Dante and Sterling came in, gave him a lot of energy. They ended up winning the game. And I remember going into the, the rapid recap and declaring the first comment in the article, you probably find it is like Wes just lost his starting job. <laughs> I was horribly wrong about that. Wes still retains his starting job and he continues to play decently enough to, you know, justify having that job. So that would be the other big thing. I put, I was big wrong, but at least I was really big about it. I didn't, you know, there was no halfway about that. I thought for sure he had lost his starting job, but uh was wrong about that. Uh, R.I.P. to washed watch. What a, what a <laughs> yeah, time know. that was. After like two weeks, it was, that was it. So, <laughs> you know, good on the team for getting rid of that segment, I guess. Uh, all right, guys, last last one here. What the What are you going to miss most? about um, not not being able to see play out. So like, is there something in particular about this regular season that you're going to miss um, being playing out down the stretch, whether it's a player or a narrative? Um, so for I'll go first, uh, let give you guys some time to think. So I think you mentioned it earlier, but um, I think just seeing Chris, uh, Chris Middleton, um, like really start to get some all NBA buzz was actually like pretty interesting to me. Like, seeing him like really come on this season with his contract, obviously, you know, it's heck of a lot of money for a guy who I think we all had questions about before the start of the season. Um, but there were a lot of articles coming out lately about him, about how well he was shooting or a good one on five thirty-eight. I was listening to dunked on. And I mean, they had him in consideration for like third team, all NBA. Um, and that just wasn't something I even really thought about, to be honest, before the start of the season was him probably being an all NBA player, uh, you know, Tony world obviously uh, agrees clearly, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I don't know. So that that was one I was looking forward to playing on because he'd had a good season so far. I guess I would have liked to see how Bud would have kind of tight- see if you would tighten the rotation in terms of getting closer to the playoffs. Like instead of you know using ten to twelve guys, maybe try to reduce the tape and which of those guys off the bench you would bring. You know, obviously George Hill would have been one of them when healthy, but then it's kind of like, is he going to try and get Dante playoff minutes or not getting playoff minutes? Is Robin Lopez going to be a factor or is it just going to be in the case of emergency? Um, was he going to look at Pat Connaughton? Was Marvin Williams going to be a factor or Ursan? Like, which of those two? So I guess that would have been the one thing I would have looked forward to seeing is if Bud would have tried and get his rotation to be closer to what we'll see in the playoffs or not. Odds are he wouldn't. He would still go, you know, 10, 11, 12 deep. But it would have been curious to see, like, if Eric Bledsoe's struggling, does he just pull him at the end of the game like George Hill close the lineup? So I think that's what I would have. That's the only thing I'm really going to miss that I would have wanted to see play out this season. Yeah, kind of hopping on the back of that, depending on how the NBA decides to resolve the season, whether it be do a couple of games and then go into the playoffs or jump right in the playoffs, a little concerned about the Marvin versus Urson thing because a lot of players have already said, like, if you're not out there, you'll kind of lose a little bit of the tendencies, a little bit of the flow that you have with your teammates. And so, you know, Marvin, as a new addition, he he's already had a couple of standout games, but now he's going into this lockdown. The entire team is obviously where he's not able to continue to work in game. And so if we come back and it's like, okay, we're just going to play five games, then go into the playoffs or just go right into the playoffs. You know, is that going to be a concern if we rely on him or is it going to be like, Bud's going to go right back and be like, okay, Urson, <laughs> you're back out there, Bud, get in there. Uh, we'll see how that works out, which would, um, you know, that's a viable option given how reliable and how much Bud Budenholzer relies on Urson. So that that's something I'm keeping an eye on. Um, it would have been cool to see out to see how much more comfortable he could get. The other thing I'm really going to miss like three to four times a week talking or seeing people talk about how Eric Bledsoe is supremely better than Malcolm Brogdon and bringing it up months and months and months and months after the whole thing has been decided and just still going after it. So I think I'm personally sad that I'm not going to see random, totally <laughs> unsolicited tweets about how Eric Bledsoe scored 10 points this week and Malcolm Brogdon only scored eight. So those are the two things I'm going to miss <laughs> with the regular season on hold. Yep. I think, yep. We're all going to miss that one, Riley. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, guys, let's, let's take a quick ad break here. Uh, and on the other side of it, we are going to say who we would want from the 05, 06 Milwaukee Bucks to be on this Here's Milwaukee Bucks team. So you definitely want to stay tuned. (laughs) All right. See you in a second. Okay. We are back for the podcast listeners for the live stream. We basically didn't leave. So, um, all right, guys. 05, 06 Milwaukee Bucks. I chose this team not for any strategic reason, um, but because I just kept hitting back on basketball reference and came to a purple logo. So we are looking at the 05, 06 uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Riley, do you have any early leaders in the clubhouse for someone that you would want on this Milwaukee, this year's Milwaukee Bucks team? And don't forget, who who are you going to kick off the team? So I would say the 
two players that jump out kind of looking at the roster here and i would suggest everybody go to the basketball reference page just go down to the per game numbers just because that's back in the dizzy that's what the numbers were all about <laughs> per, per game no per 36 you know, whatever 15 years ago michael red shooting almost 40 percent from three was this the was that the season where he got an all-star nod i can't remember the, all, oh no all, oh three oh four would have been his so but still i mean he was still obviously the guy for the team so i would say either him or if we're doing youth movement we want to build for the future i don't know if you could go back in time and mold andrew bogut into a three-point shooter if you could if you could like put him in the lab a la brooke lopez and make it happen but i think uh rookie andrew bogut uh just you know I'm not sure if I would say he was a dynamo per se because his numbers weren't super popping off the screen. But if you're looking like we're a little tight cap flexibility, we're looking for a young guy who we can mold. I think Andrew Bogut, those two, I mean, it's a little reductive since they're two of the more better known names, but those are the two I pick off the top. And then for who I'd kick off, um, obviously I would cut Robin Lopez in a second for Andrew Bogut. And then for Michael Red, uh, how tall was Michael Red? Let's see if he could replace Wes. Six six. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, he might be able to replace West. So maybe maybe I'm kicking uh, West off the team to get Michael Red in there. Oof. All right, who you got, Kyle? So I thought about it, and yeah. So there's rookie year Andrew Bogut, which is a considered person. Michael Red was probably the strongest one. I also saw Jamal McGlure, who at this <laughs> point had five years in the league. And I would possibly lean towards him just because he was a big body. And I think he would just be a non-shooting version of Robin Lopez. I, you know, it would be interesting to see how he would do against like an Al Horford. Because when I look at Jamal McGlure, like the first person I thought of was Al Horford, except without shooting. So I would probably go with him or Michael Red. I think it's just more because with Michael Red shooting, that would have been very helpful, especially... Uh, and I think that at this point, he probably would have been a starter. Like, I don't think he'd be coming off the bench. Like, he would be the guy shooting. I mean, he scored, like, 25 points a game or something. Like, he was definitely the main focus. I'm also upset because I think TJ Ford, I don't know if this was right before the injury. This was right after his fine injuries. But he came back and still had, like, 12 points and 6 assists. But he was not the same player he was his rookie year, which is unfortunate. So... I think I'd also stick with Michael Red, but I really thought much of for a hot second just because he him just banging bodies with Embiid and Horford would have been kind of hilarious. And if I had to get rid of someone for Michael Red, I'd probably go Pelton because then you can move West to a six-man role and Michael Red would move into the starting lineup. Still a lot of questions defensively, but that would just be another good shooter. And also, what would we do about the number? Because they both, him and Milton, have the same number. So who who leaves? Who leaves town for that number? Would be an interesting dynamic as well. I like the McGlore take. I like the McGlore <laughs> take. Uh, let's see. I was a big, uh, I liked, I always liked Tony Kukoc. I was going to say, who's going to go for old man, Tony Kukoc. This is the swan song season for him. Yeah. Now let us remember he is, we have to take him in this season. (laughs) We are getting 37 year old Tony Kukoc, 30.6% from three on 2.3 attempts. So it's not exactly amazing. Uh, arms are barely working, but he's still creaking around. Okay. Averaged 15.7 minutes per game in 65 games. Um, 
I could see, you know, if I want to get him on there, get a little veteran leadership a la Pau Gasol. Um, obviously, that worked out well for the Bucks last year. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could see I could see Kukoc, and I would consider kicking off um, DJ Wilson, if only to, um, to, you know, to see what Kukoc could bring me in the end. Probably not, but he's someone I would consider a yikes. For Kukoc, 38.9% overall from the field. Not the best. Um, <laughs> not great. <laughs> that effective field goal percentage not going to be great either. Uh, about Tony you Kukoc, know what's weird, though? though? Bob Glore made an all-star team. <laughs> that That is true. For for a lot of these guys, you know, we're thinking, yeah, you're bringing him forward. He's 37. Clearly, I mean, literally at the tail end of his career. Let Suki Hobson have a weekend with him. Just, I don't even know what sort of balance beam exercises, whatever program they have going on. And you might get a, a that 37 might, you might be able to slash it down to like 25 year old Tony Kukoc over like the course of a weekend. So that's something we have to consider when thinking about bringing him forward. So the only other guy I was thinking about was Bobby Simmons. Um, and I, I, I can't recall Bobby Simmons game that well, unfortunately, I wish I could. Uh, I was just looking at his like, percentage of field goals by distance you know he shot 42 percent from three on 3.3 attempts which is pretty solid i can't remember if that's like what is if you look at his career average or whatever i'm looking at it right now he was 39.6 percent from three so that's not bad he could he would probably be kind of a tweener i can't remember how he did defensively um but he would be the only other guy that i would consider taking um outside of like obviously michael red but i i could potentially see bobby simmons as like a um, you know, a slightly smaller, maybe uh, Urson or or Wilson replacement. If I decide to take Simmons over Kukoc, I would have for that to. Slide. I would have to like remember, but I feel like like I would have to watch old highlights. He kind of reminds me of Robbie Hood in terms of style of play. Like he's kind of tall and somewhat skinny, but he's not like thin as a rail. But he's not like bulky. He kind of looked like he came into I, – I think I remember that year he came into team like a little overweight, and I could be <laughs> completely off. And this is like 13-year-old me misconstruing everything. But I feel like he was just like slightly overweight. He was supposed to be like – he was the most improved player the year prior. I remember that because when the Bucks got him, I was like, oh, okay, cool. They got this guy, the most improved player, and then they ended up spending too much money for him, like everything that happened with the Milwaukee Bucks around that time. But I would say, like, Ronnie Hood is, like, the best comparison in terms of, like, a small forward that kind of had a smooth jumper that probably, that lived more in that mid-range three-point area. Like, he can shoot off the dribble. So, he would have been interesting, but I, I don't know why. I feel like he came into camp, like, slightly overweight or something and again. Maybe because he just wasn't as good as his salary was. And it's just, like, the problem with the mid-2,000 bucks is everything I'm going to look at is from my own, like, teenage eyes which is not a good indication at all for anything in terms of evaluating talent i think we should also give a shout out to charlie bell coming in from overseas three seasons in italy and spain and then for whatever reason the bucks were the team that took a chance on him and brought him back stateside and i don't think i think in the 2005 2006 he, he didn't necessarily break through i think he played like 60 games but he ended up starting quite a bit of uh in the next season in 06, 07. So uh, shout out to Charlie Bell as well. Yeah, and Tutorial yeah, World mentions... Yeah, that's another guy that got a contract that... Tutorial yeah. <laughs> uh, World mentions Simmons sort of bulky all around, sort like a poor man, shorter Lamar Odom, sort of a contract year guy. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
Um, so just actually for, that's probably a better comparison. <laughs> the couple other players that we didn't mention that that were under I don't know if they were under consideration, but they were on this team. Um, mm-hmm. Mo Williams, uh, Joe Smith, old Joe Smith. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jerry Welsh, um, Dan Gadzarich, of course, Jermaine Jackson, Reese Gaines, Irvin Johnson, not the one you're thinking of, and Josh Davis. So, um, yeah, I don't know about any of those guys. The only guy I even remember, like, you know, remotely for me is, besides Gadzarich, is like Joe Smith. I remember that your Joe Smith came in, and, and I was kind of excited for that, for that, which is sad in retrospect. I feel like most wouldn't have been bad. Because he would have been like a decent guard off the bench, mm-hmm. like a decent yeah. point guard. Like Mullins wouldn't have been a bad option either. Do you guys think like so? Obviously, everybody knows about Irvin Magic Johnson. When's the thirty for thirty coming out on the other Irvin Johnson though? Like <laughs> to talk about like what, what's the opposite of Magic? Just like real Johnson or just Johnson? I don't know what his nickname could be, but I think we need to probably start putting together a thirty for thirty for that guy for living in the shadow of one of the great greatest players in NBA history. <laughs> But man, was he a good contributor for that 2000 2001 Bucks team? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's You're gonna right. be the high. That's gonna he be was a starting center. Like him and Scotty Williams was a front court that you did not want to mess with. Speaking of players from back in the day, this will be in the Monday morning media roundup. Scott Williams went in on David Stern this week on Twitter. So like Giannis, I don't even know what Giannis is tweeting about, but then Scott Williams got in the mentions. Like in the replies. He was like, he tweeted at Giannis. Uh, it must've been from the Oh one uh, playoffs. Um, and he was like, here, watch your coach at, at three thirty-four or whatever. And it's like a confrontation with uh, Iverson, I think. And then he went in and he was like, David Stern, if he didn't take us out, we would have won the title. We had beaten, like, we were like eight and two against Western Conference teams or whatever. <laughs> like, that he went into all these sorts of different, uh, you know, not conspiracy theories per se, but he was just, he was going at uh, the league in general. So shout out to Scott Williams as well. He's a... Uh, hell of a guy and he he was coach right for well yeah of course he was for a little bit there i remember him he seemed like a really nice guy and like all the interviews so uh shout out to him too yeah, i'm sure it was an assistant coach like Giannis's rookie year like him and nick van exel were like two former players <laughs> that were like assistant coaches during Giannis's early stages yeah, Giannis really liked Nick. It's like Nick iced coffee Van yeah. Exel. Yeah. <laughs> every time, literally every time I think of Nick Van Exel, I, I hear your voice saying Nick's iced coffee Van Exel. <laughs> it's inextricably linked at this point for me. Uh, all right. Well, that was a fun exercise. Boy, these teams are fun to go back to. Um, okay. Let's that's move on. Like that's the part. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. What, what were we saying, Riley? They were like, they're 40 and 42. But they were fifth in the central division still. Yeah, they were. It, it, my, I had it brought up. Let me see if I can find where it is. Yeah, they were fifth. And the, I believe the Pistons led. And it kind of went from like there to Indiana. It might have been then Chicago, Cleveland, then us. I can't remember. But if we you had, look at the East. The Pistons were still good. Cleveland had LeBron. Yep. And then Indiana was just. Yeah, it was, it was really close. Though. I think Indiana and Chicago weren't that much ahead of the box. Like the Pistons were by far the best team in the east that year yeah they uh it was tough to have that i mean 40 and 42 that get you like a six seed in this this day and age so I, I don't i can i didn't even look to see if they made the playoffs i can't imagine given the five teams in the in that division alone and i think there was a couple other in the other divisions that played pretty well but uh yeah to do so well and not uh not make it somewhat disappointing I they lost 
It's they lost Eastern oh, they Conference first round. <laughs> oh, okay. Versus the know. Pistons. Uh, four gentlemen four sweep. one. <laughs> yeah. Not I that, remember well, shout out the analysts. <laughs> All the analysts. They had a uh, shout out to Terry Stotts. <laughs> yeah, Terry Stotts. He, oh yeah. I, I, I can't remember if he did Terry Stotts get canned and then immediately go to Portland, or was he kind of off in the other for a little bit before he went to Portland? I can't even remember. Um, oh, let's see. I'm with his bot. He was in it. He went to Dallas as an assistant coach for like four years, and then went to Portland. So he had a few years in the few years in the wilderness as an assistant. Yeah. yeah. Oh five oh six, top of the world, baby. Wow. All right. Well, let's move on to our, our potpourri segment. Um, Riley, you wrote the rapid fire questions this week, so we'll let you uh, take it away. Okay. Uh, so just a couple of quick ones as they always are. Um, I forgot to finish that one. So first question in your guys' opinion, does the long break help or hurt the bucks? I say hurt. Yeah, same. I say hurt. Okay. Uh, breakfast meal of choice, weekday, or, or you could either do weekday or weekend. So let's say, what's your breakfast during a work week? What do you normally go for? And then weekend, you have a little bit more time. What's your go-to breakfast then? Okay. So for weekdays, I normally do like overnight oats. I make like quick oats and old-fashioned oats, mm-hmm. soak it in milk along with like peanut butter, banana, cinnamon, put in like some Tupperware and let it sit overnight. So that way, like the oats absorb the milk. And then that way, the next morning, I can just grab it out the fridge, and then I can eat it cold. So I have that, and then, like, toast, like, just peanut butter toast or just, like, regular toast. So that's my weekday. And the weekend, I try to do something involving eggs, like, whether it's, like, a scrambler or an omelet or just, like, a bunch of scrambled eggs. Like, try and do something more because I actually have the time to, like, make the breakfast, eat, and then do dishes after it. So those are my breakfast plans especially with this quarantine it's been kind of nice that i can actually stay home and make breakfast during so during the week i i'm not really a breakfast guy so like during the week i don't eat breakfast um i just wait till lunch and um i i like don't eat a very big lunch either i'm like a guy who like i basically save all my cows for night and then have a giant dinner uh <laughs> uh work just works for me on the weekends I might have like a bagel or I would get like a, I'll, like I, I, we used to get a cinnamon roll back when the, I could walk outside. Um, but, <laughs> in the, in the before plague era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've been like, I've like made a cinnamon roll. I'll have that with coffee, but I, I usually just keep it pretty light. Um, I'm just not, never been a big breakfast guy at home. Okay. Um, who will have more minutes for the bucks next season, DJ or Thanasis? And I should say, uh, I usually do these with the numbers. I believe DJ has 280-some minutes, and Thanasis only has 90-some minutes this season. But going into next year, who would you say between those two? Since we've seen, apparently, uh, Bud wave the white flag on DJ, uh, assuming that's going to be the same case next season, who would you say? there might be, He might still give it a try again, but who knows? I'd say DJ just more on the account that Ursan and Marvin Williams might not be on the roster next year, so at some point there's going to have to be a backup four, and DJ Wells will stumble in for like a one-week stretch. I also don't know. Actually, 
<laughs> no, actually, I'm changing it to Tanasi because I can't guarantee GZ will be on the roster next yeah. year. That's the other thing to keep in mind. Yeah. I was like, no, TJ might not be on the roster next year, so I'll go Thanasis. Yeah, that was a re- this is a really tough one. I kind of think it'll be Thanasis too. I kind of feel like <laughs> just given, <laughs> I mean, given given the like non us the the salary cap kind of being up in the air, I have a bad feeling it's like it's not gonna it might even like lower from what it is if things go really badly and the like. Thanasis' contract isn't great because, yeah, but uh, DJ's <laughs> DJ's contract getting guaranteed is not great either. I kind of feel like we might try and do like a little salary dump there. Yeah, I think you guys are probably right. Uh, so two more here. One, do you guys, would you be able to name the season, the last season that Giannis played in a game, but he did not start? I'm not looking for the specific game. You don't, that's, that's a lot to go into, but would you be able to guess which season it was? Probably his rookie year, so the 13-14 season. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess it's the 14-15 because I think there was a stupid stretch where kid said, I'm going to have him come off the bench. And he had like – there was like 10 games uh, or whatever where he's like, have him come off right. the bench. And he started to play better, and he's like, worked his way back into the starting lineup. <laughs> stupid freaking guy. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. When See, I thought it? he did that with Middleton. I don't remember if he did that with Giannis or not, but it could be. So that was actually both of you were incorrect, but not by too far. Fifteen sixteen was the last season. Uh, it was December fifteenth or sixteenth, I should say, uh, twenty fifteen against the Clippers. It was a one hundred three ninety loss for the ten seventeen Bucks at that point. Uh, Giannis ended up playing thirty three uh, minutes. 412 from the field. He actually made a three pointer. That was probably a fluke. Uh, Ended up with nine points, uh, 11 rebounds, two assists, and three turnovers and four fouls. So I I didn't really look into why Giannis was coming off the bench. I'm assuming it was another thing where he got in some sort of altercation and Jason Kidd was trying to prove a point. But that was the last time Giannis played in the game and was not a starter, from what I could gather. Um, And then the final one favorite ice cream flavor. Oh. I like uh, I like confetti cake, the one with the chunks of birthday <laughs> cake batter in it <laughs> and sprinkles and uh, frosting. Yeah, that's mine. <laughs> I'd go Ben and Jerry's strawberry cheesecake. Ben and Jerry's is pretty strong. They always have some zany stuff going on. I like a classic mint chocolate chip. Give me a mint chocolate chip and I'm there for it. It's always it's tough to mess that up, though. I have, have found places that have done it. So that's what I got. That's my uh, rapid fire this week. Thanks, Riley. That was good. Uh, all right, Kyle, you got a film review all ready for us. I do. It's the new trend. It's the hit thing. It's the crazy wild stuff that's going on in the world. Obviously, I'm talking about Tiger King. Which, <laughs> for those of you that don't know, it's on Netflix. It's a document. It's like a seven episode documentary about Joe Exotic who had a zoo over in Oklahoma with all of these tigers and big cats and wild animals. And it's pretty much just detailing the story of how he like rose to fame and his beef with some one particular person, Carol Baskin, and how she's kind of the rescue side of it. And yet both sides are like, they're pretty smart in how they're doing it, but they're also completely hypocritical and shitty people. And I'm only two episodes in, and it's one of those where it's not good. It's not like making a murder where it was kind of like captivating, like, a, ooh, I wonder what happened. It's just more of a, I don't know what the hell is going on, but I need to keep watching to figure out more what the hell goes on. And then you kind of watch more of it, and you're like, 
why am I why am I watching this? But yet the next episode, like I finished episode two and I was like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. Because the first episode is all about Dozotic. And then they're talking about this other dude who ended up having like eight wives and this dude in Miami that like was trying to emulate Scarface and then comes out and he has his own zoo. And then at the end, they're like, oh yeah, Carol Bastis might kill her brother. Like, wait, what? hold on, wait, what do you mean she killed her husband? And then the episode adds. So it's just stuff like that where you're kind of sitting here like, what am I watching? And it's kind of this big thing. Like, if you see Joe Exotic, it's like a red, the most stereotypical redneck you can ever picture. But he's also gay. So then it's kind of like, okay, he's a gay redneck. And especially in his upbringing, I probably wasn't, no one was really happy about that. And yet he had, he has two husbands himself. And it's just like, there's just a lot of twists and turns. And you're kind of just sitting there going, what the hell am I watching? And why do I need to watch the next episode? And that is, and like I said, if you've heard about it, it's not good. It is not a good documentary. It's not like, well done. It's one of those where it's kind of, someone said it's like a train wreck. And like, as you just want to continue watching more and more of the wreckage happen. And I would say that is a spot on analysis. It's kind of some of those, it's the weirdest I've ever seen to this is, Everything, every time you just sit there like, what the hell's going on? And that is my film review. I'm only two episodes added yet. At the end of the second episode, I I to watch the third, but I also need to like watch something coherent and cleanse my palate again. (laughs) Uh, Quick take out of 10 for the first two episodes. What'd you give it so far? It's not good. In terms of (laughs) entertainment, it is definitely a nine or a 10. Okay. It, it is something that you want to continue watching or you feel like you have to watch the next one to see what happens next. This I thought it was going to be overrated because there's nothing else going on in the world and we're all stuck inside. And this was just one of those stupid things that everyone's just decided we're going to watch. I think this would be something that everyone would have watched regardless of if we were quarantined or not. So in terms of entertainment, it is like a 9 or a 10 just because you do want to keep seeing what the hell happens next. But in terms of overall, I give it like a six because it's not good. <laughs> it's not like a good documentary. It's just a very entertaining documentary. Good. Wow. Great. That, I, when you finish, King, yeah, it's, it's after wild. after <laughs> you after you said all that stuff and then you ended it with yeah. So I've seen two episodes. I was like, what? <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, yeah. that's so much. There's stuff. so much that happened, and there's so much that you have to remember. And that's only two episodes. And again, the end of the second episode saying, "Oh yeah, the opposition killed her husband." And you're just like, but she had, wait, her, her old husband. She has this new guy. Obviously, she has a husband. So like, it's, what's going on here? Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I don't know. Like I said. I feel like if we weren't quarantined, we'd still be talking about Tanking because it is. It's just there are characters on that. There are characters. I'm waiting for the first NBA player to do a Tiger King theme related like celebration after making a three or something. So hopefully the Bucks <laughs> oh, will be. Someone's there. going someone's going to be there's gonna be a lot of Joe Exotic costumes this coming Halloween. <laughs> I was gonna I say can guarantee that. Russell Westbrook sees Between that and Mandalorian slash Baby Yoda. Like those are going to be the two main Halloween costumes. Book it. It's a great call. All right. So the next segment, Riley, do you have a fountain pen review for us? So I didn't prepare anything at all this week, but I do have a fountain pen so we can look at it. Uh, you probably won't be able to see it as well because <laughs> the lighting's not great. So this week I have my pilot vanishing points. Uh, so it's a little, uh, can't really see it all that well. 
the way that it works is it's built so that the clip is at the top here. And contrary to most fountain pens, it has a knock mechanism. So you'll think of most pens, they have a knock on the back end where you press it in. Really rare. It's hard to manufacture that and engineer it for a fountain pen just because of the size of the nib. So you'll see. Let's see. Mm. Yeah. So you can click it on. Mm. Uh, the, you'll notice that the nib is really, really small compared to your normal fountain pen. I don't have one to compare it to. This is a medium-sized nib. And what's extra special about this is not only that it's portable, uh, the knock mechanism, the engineering, but also the nib is <laughs> it's plated in 14 karat gold, which helps it <laughs> run even smoother. Um, so this is a slightly more expensive pen than your average like steel nib. It's it's still not super duper crazy, but um, you know if you're looking for a really unique in the world of fountain pens pen, one that you don't have to pop the top off or twist the turn off, you just knock it, you're good to go. Uh, the Pilot's uh, Vanishing Point is the one to go for. And Pilot is one of the big Japanese brands, so they have really good nibs. The nib itself, even if it's a medium, they generally run a little bit thinner. So uh, highly recommended, as hope, thankfully all my purchases so far for fountain pens. So if you're looking for something a little different, the uh, Pilot Vanishing Point is my suggestion. Wow. I, I like these because I know nothing about fountain pens. <laughs> and your your knowledge is so extensive and comprehensive. It's fun. It goes really, really yeah, I deep. I thought it was just like a pen. Yeah, me <laughs> I did too. not think it was like anything more detailed. <laughs> well, I mean, so the thing is when you spend the kind of money that you spend on a stupid pen, I mean, the the community itself is really quite deep. Like, there's a lot of people. And so there's a lot of information. And the other thing you have to get into, which we can in the future, it's not even <laughs> just the pens. It's all the ink you can get to. That's why people like it because there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. There's types that are like permanent inks. You know, whatever color you could imagine, some of them have shimmer where they put like little flakes in them. And when you write it out, you'll be able to see against the light, like they'll kind of like they'll sparkle a little bit. So, you know, I think in this one I have Robert Oster Aquamarine and Robert Oster is a uh, Australian brand as well. Um, so it's a it's a global community. We can go into my inks in the future. I have a whole bunch of those too. So <laughs> this thing will be Once riding through this whole corner. You have to start talking about the ink. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean that's part of the that's half the fun is having all the different inks. Which I mean again, this is totally eighty year old fun because I'm talking about pens and inks. But what are you going to do about it? So that's that's what I got this week. Wow. Well, Damon Bradley, Fountain Pen Community, he's in. To Tony, we should put some classical music over this. But when I when I'm stop being so lazy with production, I'll try and do something like that. And for any podcast listeners, I wish you could have seen the the great smile and just sheer look of joy on Riley's face when he mentioned <laughs> I can start talking about the ink. Uh, it was really priceless. It's because it's it's really ridiculous. It's I'm smiling to hide the pain from how ridiculous it all is, but I'm too deep into it at this point. So what are you going to do? Uh, all right, I'll guys. Say, you pens. I have my Animal Crossing, so it's all good. Everything's all good. Amen. Um, all right, guys, it's time for weekly predictions. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I'm just to laugh. So, I don't know. This week, um, obviously, we're still using NBA Game Sim, the uh, preeminent game simulator on the website, mm -hmm. on the internet. Um, so, the games this week are at Dallas, that would be played today. Um, and then there was a game at home against Toronto. And then the week ended with a game at Toronto. So I'm kind of sad because this would have actually been a dope week of basketball. But um, let's uh, let's go through your predictions, guys. What do you think the Bucks are going to do this week? So because they <laughs> fell, 
They fell flat on their face last week, and they got decimated by the Pistons. And it was, you know, we our narrative going after last week was that the Bucks were in free fall. That was what the narrative was. So I think right. they're going to go three and zero. They're going to shut the haters up again. They're going to turn the ship around. This is going to be a perfect week for them. Is my guess. I'm going one and two. They once again fall to Dallas. Dallas shoots, I'd say, 45% from three. They beat Toronto <laughs> at home, which was helpful, but then they lose at Toronto. The crowd was too much. Chris Middleton struggles. Eric Blood so not existent. The team still, they're stumbling to the finish line is what's happening. That is the narrative. The team is stumbling to the finish line. They get the marquee wins at home, but they can't do anything on the road. <sighs> I'm going to agree almost entirely with Kyle. I totally agree. One and two, they're going to lose this Dallas game. They're going to just win the home game, lose at Toronto. And for anyone who, who wasn't listening and is listening this week, just so you know, as a, as a reminder of Riley's statement, last week in game simulating the Bucks, they lost to the Pistons, a surprising loss by like 20 points. It was a tough one. Um, they beat Free Houston. Free throw controversy. <laughs> yes, <I> agree. <laughs> they beat Houston, and then they also lost to Washington. So like Riley said, Season is, it's on the brink. As we discussed mm-hmm. earlier, any loss is a lot. So, all right, I've simulated these games. I haven't seen the score, so I'm going to click through. First one, at the Mavericks, the final score is, whoa! Bucks 125 <laughs> to Mavericks 103. Let's go. I was not expecting okay. that. Yes. All right. <laughs> wow. Okay, here, I'll, I'll give you guys a few player stats. Okay. Oh, Chris Middleton finally bounces back. He had a really bad week last week Mm -hmm. uh, simulating. He really sucked. So it's (laughs) fitting that Tutonia world you're on uh, watching the live stream. Chris Middleton, 28 points, 11 of 20 from the field, um, 4 of 10 from 3. It seems like he came out aggressive. He probably was Mm -hmm. watching that Wizards tape, um, played like that. Giannis, 24 points. Eric Bledsoe, 17 points. Um, Big 3 came through. Wow, and Urson, 15 points as well. That's huge. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, yeah, they so uh, Luca and Chris Dapps combined for 58. So they kind of got theirs. Um, but then the Bucks, but Luca shot 11 of 27 from the field. So really okay. inefficient scoring. Okay. Um, that's a big win for the Bucks. Held them to held the Mavs to 38.1 shooting overall. 25% from three, 10 of 40 for the Mavericks. So Bucks so defended ten of those three pointers. Okay. That was all <laughs> luck. They only defended ten of those three pointers. Everything else is just misses. <laughs> all right, so off to a great start. Not what I expected. Okay, this is at home against Toronto. Let's see. Oh, one nineteen to ninety one. Bucks victory. Yes, okay. I told you guys. So now ESPN sweating. They're sweating a little bit. There's a single bead of sweat on the forehead coming down. They're not. They're not too. Hey, I, you know, it's not too crazy yet. But two wins in a row and against the Raptors too. That's tough for them. Okay. All right. And then this last one at Toronto. Let's see. Come on. Okay. Let's turn the ship around. Okay. Hold on. I'm nervous. My hands are sweating. I'm already wrong with the prediction this week, so anything is a bonus (laughs) at this point. What the heck? (laughs) Okay. All right. Hold on. My simulation went whack. Okay. Hold on. (laughs) It couldn't handle a two game Bucks winning streak. All right. Hold on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Wow. 
144 to 123 bucks victory. Yes. That is- <laughs> 144. <laughs> wow. Giannis has 37. So 22. Mm-hmm. Chris 18. Robin Lopez, like I always knew, my guy, 14 points. <laughs> okay. All right. That's pretty solid. Now, here's the thing about the Raptors. They had – what the heck? Where's Kyle Lowry? Okay. So, for the Raptors, Kyle Lowry shot seven shots, had eight points. Sergi Baca led with 26 points, which I wasn't expecting. Nine of 13 from the field. Terrence Davis, 19 points. So, Sergi Baca and Terrence Davis are the Raptors' leading scorers. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. What an odd result. I wasn't expecting that. So perfect week for the Bucks, three and zero. So give all us, right. all right, guys, give us your give us your narratives. So after this three and zero week, you know Giannis has been decent. It really depends on what the Lakers did as well. But I think ideally we've we've kind of this is the moment where we have the redemption, right? We've had these two three weeks of LeBron. He's surging. How can you deny this guy? You know he's amazing. Then the Bucks they put their foot down, get these three in a row against top tier competition both in both conferences and now we're starting to move it back the other direction people are like well you know when you look at the body of work Giannis really you have to give it to him this is the moment where the MVP is won I think Kyle you thinking the same all right I would say the narrative is not necessarily Giannis focus but on the team because it was that free fall everyone's like are they really going to be a legit number one and can they get knocked out of the second round Two, you know, maybe it's Philly, maybe it's Miami. We don't know. But at this point, with all the other teams and how they're playing, Milwaukee solidifies the number one seed, knocks Toronto for the second seed down the third seed, creates some doubt in Toronto's eyes, while Boston climbs up to number two. Meanwhile, Philly somewhat gets the shit together, climbs up to the climbs up to the four seed, and then Miami goes down to five and Indy still at six. So it creates a lot of uncertainty. So the narrative is going to be Milwaukee solidifies its position as the Eastern Conference favorite, but Philly starts to get a little bit revived. Ben Simmons comes back, and now Philly is back to being the team that everyone thought they would be. So it's not necessarily going to be built around Milwaukee. Everyone's just like, okay, this team is good. Like, we realize they just had a bad week. But then it's going to be the other team's narratives. Toronto's in a free fall. Boston is going to be the new favorite in everyone's mind. And then you got Philly. Philly's threatening. They're 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 coming back, and then they're going to suffer some humiliating losses up a row next week. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, I love it. You sound just like the national media. The Bucks get pushed to the back of the line. They're just good. There's not much to talk about, but we yep. need to talk about Boston. We need to talk about <laughs> yeah. the Raptors. Oh God, that was. We good. all know this is about Boston and Philly. That's all this is going to be this week. Yeah, Toronto loses twice. It's not any indication about the Bucks. It's about Philly. Oh God! Wow. Well, and I really, agree with, I agree with Daniel Walt. It is a sad reality. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that was fun. Good thing for the Bucks going three and zero. Yeah. That was a great, great week for them. We uh, sound insane. We sound like crazy people. <laughs> just <laughs> living our own. And yeah, it's reality. It's not that we're crazy. This is just the world we live in. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. I know we're hurting right now for a little bit of content on the site. We'll just keep going like the the pregame post, the rapid recap, and then the next day, the, the post game the next day. We'll just keep it going. It'll be fine. No problem. Oh, God. 
Well, as a reminder, on on Sunday the Bucks. You probably well, you won't. Any podcast listener, this will have already happened. But there's a Twitch tournament with um, Dante Divincenzo, DJ Wilson, and Cam Reynolds playing <laughs> against a couple members of the Mavericks uh, Bucks, and they're playing like NBA 2K20 or something. Mm-hmm. So clearly the Bucks are also hurting for content. Um, maybe we'll recap that next week because I had hoped to do an ongoing segment of Dante's Inferno of what he's up to, but um, he has no social media. Uh, for some reasons that are, uh, if anyone remembers, uh, probably pretty valid based on some of his past tweets that came out slowly after the NCAA championship game. Mm-hmm. But um, so he's sort of off the grid, but we have a little bit on the grid, uh, Dante. So I, for one, cannot imagine myself watching that, but I will comb through I'm it. I'm not going to watch it. I will watch highlights. <laughs> yes. So I will comb through it to see what Dante says. If he says anything illuminating, um, we'll have that on the podcast next week. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, anything you guys want to say before I do my real quick uh, social distancing plug? Not off the top of my head. Uh, Kyle, do you have anything? I have a random stat that didn't find a place to fit in in the podcast, but... <laughs> I can bring that up. Right I was going to say, want. I will have a new series to work on. I'm not going to give too much details. It's just going to cover some Bucks moments in the past, and I'm going to travel back in time and fix everything or change everything. So the first one's going to be one that I personally remember and felt, and I think a lot of people will feel the same. So that's going to be – that's all I'm going to say. It should come out at some point this week whenever I have the motivation and – non-writer block to finish it my random stat this week was the bucks as a team made 893 threes and took 2510 threes so far this season opponents against the bucks have made 892 threes and taken 2509 threes so they opponents have literally taken taken and made one less three against the bucks throughout the entire season which is super super arbitrary means absolutely nothing but there it is. So that, that's my stat this week. That's my plug. <laughs> Thank you, Riley. We we commend you for your stat service. Uh, all right. So my quick social distancing plug. I know it's like hard to deal with everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, just please, please do your best to do social distancing. My wife is a nurse practitioner, as I said last week, in the medical ICU at um, one of the biggest hospitals here in Philadelphia. She is on the front lines of this. Her, She's getting her first COVID patients this past week. Um, heard some of the stories. They're not dissimilar to what you're hearing in the national media about what's going to be going on at hospitals. Um, it's really important, just not for the people in your life um, that could be affected by this. There's young people getting affected by it. Um, but it's also really important for the healthcare people. Uh, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, and they're going to be dealing with it for probably a long time. So please, 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 please do your best to help out however you can, um, whether it's social distancing or if you see your local hospital is in need of masks um, and you have the capabilities to donate masks, create masks, um, you know, whatever it is that they might need, I, I would urge you to look into that. If you know someone in your life who is not social distancing, um, please try and talk with them. If you feel very strongly about it, I know I personally do. Um, but please try and talk with them, maybe see if you can change their mind and, and convince them that this is something that is going to impact them. So um, that's that's just all I have to, to say about that. So, um, But we hope that we were able to provide a really good distraction for you for this uh, quarantining time, for this last hour and 15 minutes or whatever. 
really appreciate you listening. I know it's one of my favorite parts of the week is just get a chance to, you know, shoot the shit with these guys. Um, and uh, it's, it's really fun. If you know, tell your friends, if you want to convince them to go on the, watch the live stream, we'll do it Sunday mornings. Um, go to brewhoop.com, follow us on Twitter at brewhoop. Um, we'll try and do a better job, me personally, of broadcasting the fact that we're going to be broadcasting it on Sunday mornings. I'll get some I'll try and have better internet. <laughs> yes, yeah, Kyle will work to have better internet. Um, and uh, we will talk to you guys again soon. Thank you again for listening. Mm-hmm.